You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. When asked on a multiple choice examination, most physicians would check that alcoholism and other chemical addictions are a disease. But when we actually look at people's behaviors, it's not quite so clear. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the president of the Association for Addiction Professionals, Dr. Sharon Freeman. She also maintains an active clinical practice as executive director of the Center for Brief Therapy in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome. Hi, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So Sharon, when, when we were discussing this show, you mentioned, let's talk about addiction as a disease or not. And I said, oh, come on, everybody knows alcoholism and addiction is a disease. And you had a question about that. We'd like to think that everybody thinks addiction is a disease. And I'm not so sure because when it's discussed in public forums, we still get a little bit of pushback on that. We have insurance carriers, for example, that will put mental health and especially substance use disorders off on a back burner and not want to cover them as medical disorders. And we also have very little protection when it comes to getting treatment for mental health disorders. For example, in many of the surveys that are done at the national level, we find that for people who need treatment, that they're not receiving it. 37.5% report they're unable to get treatment because of the cost of the care, uh, mostly because they have no coverage for it. And these are working people. I was next to appalled to find out that most mental health practitioners, for example, have no mental health coverage or substance use treatment coverage available in their own insurance. And that an estimated 80% of people seeking chemical dependency treatment overall are employed. So if people aren't convinced it's a disease, what do they think it is? Well, we're not sure. It's unfortunate that we say that it is a brain disease when it is politically correct. But when it comes down to the numbers, there seems to be some sort of a stigma that says that, no, 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 it's still something that is a problem with you personally. It's a real interesting little quagmire that we're stuck with. The substance use professionals are not being paid at a rate that is attracting them into the field or some of the lowest paid professionals. So our workforce in that area is inconsistent with a high turnover. There's very poor education available to that workforce, so there's no attraction to come in to that particular arena. The same is true even in the medical profession. In psychiatry, there really isn't much bang for the buck. We kind of do it out of love. But reimbursement rates in the psychiatric arena and especially in substance use, often substance use treatment is carved out and often the claims are rejected if it's a substance use disorder. So that's, you know, it's stigmatized care. So I'm not sure where that comes from that, you know, we say one thing yet uh, something else occurs. Yet, as medical professionals, we know that most of our medical problems in hospitals, those individuals have a substance use disorder of one kind or another, tobacco, alcohol, 
other types of substances that are you know illegal substances, but those primary substances such as tobacco and alcohol are hitting hard and there is a domino effect. So we need to start taking a look at those decision makers in Washington, D.C. and saying, hey, let's put our finger in the dike instead of waiting for the flood because we're shoveling water out of the floodplains instead of just you know, putting up a good solid dike. Well, certainly the nicotine addiction is really incredibly foolish to me in terms of the lack of treatment resources that insurance companies will pay for, that clearly that's the number one thing we can do to save people's lives is to get them to quit smoking. And and now that we have excellent treatment for that, for them not to pay is really remarkable and short-sighted. Absolutely. As an addiction professional, I am often appalled at the number of working professionals who are seeking treatment and find that they don't have access due to inability to pay. And if they do try to get into treatment, it will cost them dearly, almost to the point of of filing bankruptcy if they try to get treatment. And so treatment these days, it seems to be only the rich can afford it. Therefore, we know that it works because there's quality treatment available, but only a, a select few can afford the quality treatment that is available. And that is sad. So we have a crisis. And in those areas where quality treatment is available, uh, we have fewer and fewer trained professionals available because we're not pulling people into the field. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sharon Freeman. We are discussing parity for addiction and mental health treatment. Dr. Freeman, you're quite active in the national organization. In fact, you're president of the Association for Addiction Professionals. What can we do from an organized medicine and professional standpoint to help change this? Well, there's quite a few things, and the simplest is to send a letter or an email to your local congressman or senator, both at the state level or at the national level, as I've had conversations with my state senators and federal representatives, I find that they assume that we're okay with the way things are because they don't hear from anyone. So that was an eye-opener to me. There are also your professional associations. For example, there's the Association for Addiction Psychiatrists. There's the American Society for Addiction Medicine. Both are extremely active in advocating for these changes to be made. Employers in general should utilize employee assistance programs if possible and should definitely choose health plans that have these benefits available. Interestingly enough, federal and state governments, well, the federal government, excuse me, has chosen to add this parity to their own coverage and found that it did not increase costs. I think it was less than 1%. So it really is not a cost issue. And given that information, I think we have some powerful advocating that we can use that they have what we can't get. 32 states have enacted mental health parity legislation, but we still don't have substance use disorder legislation in place. And that is where 
obviously it's lacking. These disorders are medical-based. They deserve medical treatment. And given that we are medical professionals, we're the ones that are bearing the brunt of the lack of resources. And I think it's time that we started making some noise. So, Sharon, from an organizational standpoint, clearly we can get more involved and discuss with both our local and national thought leaders in the political arena. How about on a more personal level? Is there anything we can do with our patients and our practices to help people understand this a little bit better? One of the interesting things that I do, which does tend to take my practitioners off guard, is when I go in for my wellness visits, Afterwards, I'll usually say, well, you didn't screen me for addiction. And that, you know, does tend to usually get me a uncomfortable laugh. But it's important to, to do just a quick screen for problematic substance use. It takes but four quick questions. Know the cage inventory. It's, have you had a desire to cut down on either alcohol or other drugs? Uh, has anyone annoyed you by asking you to cut down on your use? Have you ever felt guilty by your use? And have you ever felt the need to use something to either wake up in the morning, that's eye-opener is where the E comes from, or to calm your nerves? So that very quick four-question screen is known to help someone feel comfortable enough to start talking about it. I have had family practitioners tell me that I would ask those questions, but what happens if I get a yes? And that that's problematic because if you don't know what to do with a yes, then there's a tip from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services that's free. It's tip 24. It's called a Guide to Substance Abuse Services for Primary Care Physicians. And you can just go online to the acronym is SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A. If you Google SAMHSA, you will be able to get that guide for free. It will give you anything you ever wanted to know about how to answer a quick question with a brief screening. An easier way might be just to look in the phone book and see if you can locate certified addiction professionals and, you know, pick up the phone, have a chat, and ask if you can refer if you get a yes answer. Research has shown that a brief intervention, just saying, well, you know, would you want to do something about this? Do you feel it's problematic? That brief intervention does make a difference. So C, A, G, E, C is cut down, A is annoyed, G is guilt, and E is eye-opener. Yes. And if they answer yes to just one of those? If they answer yes, then delve in just a little bit deeper. The biggest intervention part is being genuinely interested in your patient and showing that you're concerned, that that intervention in and of itself makes a difference. And certainly we know even with smoking cessation that just a physician saying, you really need to quit smoking, can affect the quit rate. Absolutely. Just a physician or a health practitioner. There's a lot of advanced practice nurses now that are intervening, but a health practitioner saying, I'm concerned, is enough to make a difference. So, you know, that's where we can, on a personal level, start to turn this tide. But a a quick email or a quick letter off to a decision maker to let them know, I don't like where we're going with this. We need to enact legislation that forces these disorders to be treated as a medical disease, and that means getting coverage for it. We need financial backing because 
we're the ones that are getting the emergency rooms overwhelmed. We're the ones that are having hospitals overwhelmed. And not necessarily with people that can't afford treatment as far as they're unemployed. You know, we often think of people with addictions as the unemployed, et cetera. These are, you know, often tax-paying, employed family members that want help but can't access it. That is, as far as I'm concerned, criminal. So the bottom line is uh, be concerned and be vocal, whether it's with your patients or with the general systems. Excellent bottom line, yes. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Sharon Freeman. We have been discussing issues around substance abuse treatment. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.